2: Good morning, I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. Let's kick off the show with our weekly countdown, my favorite part of the show. So in segment four, we're talking with Dr. Bill Kern, who is an associate professor in the Department of Entomology and Nematology at the Fault Lauderdale Research and Education Center of the University of Florida about urban pest management and what pests we need to watch out for this summer.
3: Three. In segment three, joining us is Lisa Lang, Senior Vice President, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA. She will discuss the importance of addressing the pressing overpopulation crisis and share what steps can be taken to improve the quality of life for animals who improve ours. Two. Two. Can't get enough of our celebrity pet gossip in segment two, but paired with Flex Facts, we have a winning combination for great listening.
2: And in one, many of us believe that our dogs may be our heroes, our saviors. A new study reveals just that our dogs want to rescue and help us in times of distress.
3: So joining us today is Joshua Van Borg, a graduate student in Arizona State University's Department of Psychology. Hey, Josh, thanks for joining us today and welcome to the Pet Buzz. Hey, Dr. Freck and
4: Charlotte, thanks so much for having me.
2: So, Josh, I'm just curious, you know, this study, I read about this study, so tell us about your study so we could share with our listening audience and what prompted you to do a study like this because it's so fascinating.
4: Thanks, yeah, I'd say our study was inspired by dog folklore and shaped more by previous research. I think we've all heard stories of Heroic dogs like Lassie running to get help for Timmy who's fallen into a well. But I think very few of us, thankfully, will ever have to find out if our own dog would do the same thing. Uh, The first study that really got at this question tested whether dogs would solicit help from a nearby human when their owner faked a heart attack or actually pulled a bookshelf down on themselves. Of course, those dogs had no idea what was going on and were liable to run off as soon as the leash hit before. Uh, A few years later, a study showed that rats would empathetically release their little buddies from cages But these rats were given days and days to learn the task, while dogs were just given a single test in an earlier study. So we wanted to test whether dogs would rescue humans without any training, whether they can even tell we're in distress, and whether that perception is all it takes.
2: I think it's really interesting what Josh just said. I mean, a rat study, other dog study. I mean, Lassie, we've seen it. Like people, dogs waking up in the middle of the night to alert people there's a fire.
3: And not only that, but I think that people are intrigued to know if that yeah, in their own mind.
2: Yeah, if their dog could help them yeah. when they're in, in distress. Right.
3: Well, then, Josh, why don't you tell us about the subjects of your protocol testing?
4: Sure. We try to test a, a really diverse group of dogs to cover our bases. I think the oldest was about 15 years and the youngest is about 10 months. Uh, we tested dogs of every size and shape, Tibetan Spaniels, Great Danes, Border Collars, Heelys. Uh, uh, of course, the most common breed in our study is always unknown mix, lots of rescues. But age and and size and sex, they were all balanced across the different test orders. So just as many males as females.
3: So what kind of protocol did you follow?
4: So each dog was tested three times in total, once in each of three different testing conditions, which we called the distress reading and the food test. Uh, in the primary distress test, the dog was released into a room to find their distressed owner trapped inside of a large wood box calling for help. Um, so to rescue the owner, the dog had to move a piece of foam board, which blocked the entrance to the box. And this makeshift door was so lightweight that even the smallest dog could easily nudge it aside with their snout or their paw. And then in the reading control test, this was basically identical to the stress test, except that instead of calling for help, the owner calmly read aloud inside the box. And this allowed us to assess whether the owner's emotional state mattered to the dog. And then finally, in the food test, the owner wasn't in the box at all. Instead, a researcher dropped high value treats and kibble into the box, and the dog was given up to two minutes to treat that food uh, by opening the box. And this allowed us to assess whether the dog was able to open the box when we knew they really wanted to do so.
2: You know, I find this study is so fascinating now, as Josh is talking, for a variety of reasons. I mean, we, we've we covered lots of different studies over the years, but this is one of the first studies where, he, where we see such a variety of dogs. Right, Dr. Flack? Absolutely.
3: I just I was appreciative of all the different varieties that you offered. Yeah,
2: big and small and different personality types with inherently different instincts. So I thought that was kind of cool. And the other thing that I read, Josh, that I thought was really kind of clever was you worked with your human subjects to teach them how to call out to assert the right tone. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, definitely. We had to do a fair amount of coaching before we started the test. Just because, you know, we're not all natural actors and we, we weren't sure whether the dogs can pick up on that. And we also tried to cover that base by having uh, some what we call blind coders, people who didn't know what the study was about, uh, rate how distressed these owners sounded from videos. Yeah, it actually turns out that the dogs and what dogs hear and what we hear don't really line up very well. They, they think that everybody sounds equally convincing pretty much.
2: Interesting. Well, Mm -hmm. if you've just joined us, we're talking with Arizona State graduate student in the psychology department, Joshua Van Bork, about a study in which dogs help their owners who are possibly in distress. So, Josh, tell us a little bit more about what your study revealed.
4: So about a third of the 60 dogs that we tested ended up rescuing their owners. And this probably doesn't seem too impressive on its own, but dogs were actually just as likely to open the box for food. So this means the task was actually pretty difficult because most dogs couldn't open the box when motivated. And In fact, when you look at just those dogs that showed us they know how to open the box for food, about 85% of them rescued their owners. To me, that's super impressive. Dogs also release their owners more often in the distress test than in the reading test. And in looking at their behaviors, things like running, barking, whining, dogs were a lot more stressed in the distress test. So not only does our distress motivate our dogs to help us, they love us so much that they actually feel our distress, too.
2: That's good to know because we have six dogs, seven dogs.
3: Yeah, it's, very, it's yeah. very intriguing. So how can this information that you're presenting, how can it really help pet owners?
4: Well, I think this is a great reminder to be careful with our expectations. We're often so quick to assume our dog would do anything for us that we don't stop to consider whether they're actually able to do that thing regardless of whether they want to. You know, don't go throwing out your fire alarm because your dog can smell smoke. She doesn't have fingers to dial 911. Of course, this study is also loaded with evidence of just how much your dogs really love us. And in times like these, I I do think that's a really important thing to remember.
2: No, I think it's great because so many times we anthropomorphize our dogs, but this really shows the relationship and the motivation that our dogs will go through to help us and even, of course, find food. Right, Josh?
4: Yeah. Food's always a good motivator. Okay. So what next? So we've actually done a follow-up study now where we train all of the dogs in advance just so we're absolutely sure they know how to open this box. And we're seeing pretty much the same thing. Almost all of them will rescue you, but they have to know how to do it. Um, And now our next step after that is we're going to try and do multiple tests in a row to see if they keep opening uh, over and over because that distress continues to be a strong motivation. And it's not just about the novelty of you being in the box.
3: So, Josh, what an impressive study. We really appreciate it. And we want to thank you for joining us today. We're really glad we kind of got confirmation of what many media reports and what many of us believe, that the dogs are our saviors. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Yeah, you know, we'd love to have you back. Keep up these great studies. I think this one is really one of, I think this is one of my favorite studies.
3: it, it oh,
4: That's awesome to
2: hear. Thank you.
3: It really is because every day when, when I see patients and clients, it's so important to see that interaction between them and the loyalty that's there is incredible. So this is just reinforcement of that loyalty
2: nice Definitely. thing to say yeah. I think that's great well everyone that was Joshua Van Borg Arizona State University Department of Psychology discussing his new study revealing dogs may try to save their distressed humans as long as they know how well up next celebrity pet gossip and later on in the show urban pest management for our pets you gotta really stick around for that it's a fascinating topic
3: Hi, I'm Brad Garrett. The investigation of the Humane Society of the United States exposed the link between pet stores and puppy mills. Large puppy mill operations were busted in Maine, Oklahoma, Texas, and Virginia. Bottom line, puppy mills are cruel and their puppies are often sick. So do yourself a favor and go to your local shelter for your next dog. You'll get an inoculated, already fixed dog for almost nothing. So you'll not only save some money, but you'll also save a life.
5: When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy.
6: We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier.
5: Thanks, Thanks Epi Epi pet. pet.
1: To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just
3: visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com.
2: Thank you so much for joining the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the Pet Dynamic Duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm
3: veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck.
2: So let's kick off segment two with celebrity pet news. You know, Andy Cohen, the Watch What Happens Live host and the overseer of the Housewives brand on Bravo, gave us an update about his pet, Watcha, rehoming on Sirius XM Radio, Andy. Andy. Cohen told listeners that his rescue dog showed some occasional random signs of aggression and has been doing very well since he was rehomed. Though Cohen did not get into specifics about the incident that led to his decision to relocate Wacha, he did say it was a real moment where he had to look at where he had been and where he was going to go with the dog. Additionally, he said, it was an unanimous decision that I should find a very happy home for him, he said, explaining that he had consulted many respected figures in the animal rescue community, including one of my friends, dog trader Brandon McMillan. Yes, you know him from CBS Lucky Dog, before making the tough decision. He said, Cohen said, Brandon was like, Andy, if something happens, you're going to have to put him down. As the father to a six-month-year-old son, Benjamin Allen, Cohen said McMillan had asked him, how will you be able to live with yourself if you kept him in the home and then something happened with you and Ben and then you had to put him down? You know, I'm just glad to see that Andy had found professional help and great advice and really went out of his way to find Wacha, a happy home, and didn't just drop him off at a local shelter. Because a lot of people do that, especially when they just start having kids. You know how that is, Dr.
3: Flex. I sure do.
2: And now what you've all been waiting for, Flex Facts.
6: Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or no fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am.
5: You want answers? I want the truth!
6: It's gonna take long. You got the time.
2: Dr. Fleck, what are we gonna talk about today?
3: Diarrhea.
2: Diarrhea. Diarrhea.
3: People think it's funny, but it's really wet not runny.
2: Diarrhea.
3: diarrhea. Diarrhea.
2: Okay, so diarrhea.
3: Yes, diarrhea. Not very funny because. One of our pets, one of our dogs, has it, and it's all over the carpet. And I don't think it's funny at all.
2: That's because you're cleaning it up. Absolutely. Okay, so basic question. What's diarrhea?
3: It's common uh, in canines, and it varies in frequency, duration, intensity from dog to dog.
2: Okay, so why do dogs get it?
3: Lots of reasons. Let's talk about 12 triggering mechanisms. Okay. Okay. Dietary indiscretions. Okay. Change in diet, food intolerance, allergies, parasites, poisonous substances or plants, swallowing an indigestible foreign body. Okay. Infections with common viruses, infections with bacteria, illnesses, just general illnesses. Sometimes when you're trying to improve yourself with the antibiotics and other medications, and here's a big one: stress or emotional upsets.
2: Okay, but money is tight. So if I do, I need to see if my do I need to see my vet if my dog gets the runs?
3: Not necessarily right at first. Um, a great many cases are mild, and with your own vet's advice, maybe can be treated with with without a trip to the office. And there are many home remedies, including rice, pumpkin. Cottage cheese, okay. yogurt.
2: And those things aren't really expensive. And they're not
3: expensive and usually in the refrigerator.
2: Now, if my dog has other symptoms like vomiting, what do I need to do?
3: Yeah, you need to consult with the vet because your dog is, exhibits other symptoms that are very more serious other than just the diarrhea. Okay. Uh, and if it doesn't stop, the dog may have to go on different medications than what was initially put them on or things just don't seem to be right. Yeah. So, you know your dog, and only you know the subtle signs that sometimes something is wrong. Okay. So, go with your gut. A little play there on words. Okay. And if you think you need the veterinary guidance, pick up that phone and get to it right away.
2: Well, that's such great advice, Dr. Fleck. How's our dog, Hammy, doing?
3: Our dog, Hammy, is doing just fine. Everything except for the diarrhea.
2: Yeah, I think maybe it's time to test his stool. Yeah. Maybe give them a little a little uh, meds. Anything else?
3: That's all the Flex Facts for this week.
2: Well, stick around. More of the Pet Buzz very soon. Bet you can't wait for my I Likey of the Week.
1: You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com.
2: I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed with a healthy pet, healthy you tip There are many reasons that you might have to shelter at home with your pets, such as unsafe air quality, dangerous roads, and or high winds and flying debris, but you have to be prepared. So here are some suggestions. Make sure your pet's inside. If it's unsafe for you to be outside, it's unsafe for him too. Know the location of your pet's emergency go bag. It should have already been stocked with extra food, water, first aid kit, and other essentials your pet needs. Take your pet with you to a room that's safe. The room's location is based on whether you are sheltering from a hurricane, earthquake, tornado, flood, or blizzard. If there's a wildfire, it's best to take your pet and leave the premises immediately. Bring a battery-operated radio to ensure that you can get updates from emergency officials, even if the power goes out and your phone or Internet connection or down. If time allows, move your pet's favorite bed or blanket to your safe room so that you can make him as comfortable as possible until the threat passes. Since pets can get restless if cooped up inside in one room, bring items to keep them engaged such as toys, games, and learning activities. Make sure your pet has a place to relieve himself. Keeping puppy pee pads on hand can be useful for this purpose, as can potty training your dog to go indoors. Have a few disposable litter boxes for cats too. Make sure to have cleaning supplies on hand in case of an accident. Keep your pet away from the windows. Debris may be flying around during a storm due to high winds. In fact, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention says that flying debris is the most common cause of injury during a hurricane. Be ready for you and your pet to leave at a moment's notice. Keep your dog's leash, crate, or carrier, and any necessarily travel gear near the exit. For cats, have a carrier or pop-up shelter and other essentials. Once gone, you can refer to your emergency evacuation plan. You know, pets know when there's panic in the air, so try to remain as calm as possible. This is Pet
0: Charlotte Reed with a healthy pet, healthy U-tip. Stay safe. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about FIDO? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too.
4: I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddies can be with me for a
5: long time. Thanks, EpiPet.
0: Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com.
5: My name is Mike Ruiz, and I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada, and now I live in New Jersey. The thing that made me fall in love with Oliver was the very first time I met him. He was being fostered by a friend of mine whom I was visiting. I opened the door to my friend's house, and Oliver came running up to me, sat at my feet, and looked up at me with the most beautiful, big, brown, soulful eyes. And within 24 hours, I had filled out all the paperwork, and Oliver was my son. I've experienced a lot of discrimination with Oliver. We would walk down the street and people would literally cross the street we know when they would see us coming you know they saw like a menacing pit bull type dog i just found it so baffling because oliver was the sweetest gentlest creature that i've ever met in my entire life sadly i lost oliver in august of 2018 i wanted to commemorate him in a way that was very meaningful so i got this tattoo of him it's just such an amazing thing knowing that i carry him in my heart i now carry him on my arm My name is Mike Ruiz, and Oliver and I are individuals.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to The Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet Charlotte Reed.
3: And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck.
2: Now let's kick off this segment by talking about doing good. You know, here at The Pet Buzz, we've discussed that so many humans have been affected by the current COVID-19 pandemic, but we've also recognized that so have numerous pets. In an effort to make sure that the animals of the world receive assistance as well, American Humane, the United States' first National Humane Organization has launched the Feed the Hungry Fund. The goal of the fund is to gather and donate 1 million meals to animals across America who've been abandoned due to the effects of the coronavirus. So far, the fund has already gathered over 345,000 meals with the help from celebrities like Ariel Winner and Robert De Niro. American Humane also has socialite Jean Shefferoff, and we've had her on the show before, working on the Feed the Hungry Fund as an ambassador and spokesperson to help the group get their goal even faster. Sheriff Off, the author of Successful Philanthropy, has raised millions for the cause close to her heart, including animal welfare. Any animal lover can help the American humane cause by donating to Feed the Hungry Fund, along with providing meals to pets left alone by the pandemic. The fund will also provide basic supplies like kitty litter and medical supplies, to pets in need. To learn more about this campaign, the Feed the Hungry Fund and how to help visit AmericanHumane.org. Every year in the United States, more than 6 million lost, abandoned, or unwanted dogs and cats enter animal shelters. Some of these dogs and cats are lucky enough to be adopted into loving, responsible, and permanent homes. But there are far more animals in need of a caring family than there are kind people willing to provide them with a good and permanent home.
3: So joining us today to talk about pet overpopulation and more is Lisa Lang, Senior Vice President of People for Ethical Treatment of Animals. So, Lisa, welcome to the Pet Buzz today.
6: Thanks so much for having me on. So,
3: why should pet lovers adopt pets versus buying one from a responsible breeder?
6: Yeah, thank you for that question. I mean, you know, it really just comes down to how many homeless animals there are. In the United States alone, there are about at least 6 million animals in shelters across this country. That's cats and dogs. And... They're all wonderful. They're all waiting for a loving home and there's no excuse for buying an animal when we can and should be adopting these animals who are in need. To add to it, you go to any shelter website and you'll see dogs, for example, who are two, four, six years old. This is a very sad story. These are animals who were either purchased or adopted and then for whatever reason, they were given up by their families, and of course, these animals never know why they're losing their house and so it's really important that we go to our local, especially city and county shelters, and adopt and never, ever buy. So, you know, one
2: of the things I'm always perplexed about is the fact that there is an abundance of pets, and that shelters also, at a time, not necessarily now because of COVID-19 and people were looking for companionship, but shelters... Around the country in various places can't keep enough pets for the need of people who want
6: to adopt. Is that true? Well, there's an overabundance of of, of homeless animals. so they unfortunately, the shelters are well able to keep up with uh, the need. What what we're lacking is there aren't enough good homes for the animals who need them. So, you know, we will never, ever be able to adopt our way out of the homeless animal situation, and this comes down to prevention. The only way we're going to be able to find a home for all the animals who need it is to stop the flow of animals. So we have this crisis of homeless cats and dogs, and there's one really easy, and this is what's frustrating, is it is a very, very easy fix. We just have to do it, and it's through prevention, and that's specifically spaying and neutering
3: animals, and a ban on breeding. Well, let me ask you this in a two-part question then. Uh, And as a veterinarian, I'm well aware of all that that we do for overpopulation too. But do you think that we failed some with our spay and neuter policies in this country as a means to control and maintain the pet population? And as a follow-up to that, what other ways can we tackle the pet overpopulation problem?
6: Sure. I, I... So far, yes, we are failing miserably, and I think that there are several reasons for that. One is there are still a lot of cities, and definitely on the state level, we're not seeing enough mandatory spay-neuter laws. And one of the things that cities can do to make this really attractive to people is that every animal is supposed to be registered. Every dog needs to be registered with the city. And you make the registration and the licensing fees a lot less expensive expensive for those who spay neuter. So it's a licensing differential. Maybe you charge, for example, three hundred dollars for someone who wants to keep their animal intact and won't spay or neuter. And then also they need to get a they need to get a license for that. Whereas maybe the person who spay or neuter spays or neuters their dog, they pay five or ten dollars for a licensing fee. That's that's what we pay here where I'm from in Southern California. The other thing is that there, where there are state-neuter ordinances, like, for example, in Los Angeles, they're not being enforced. So people don't feel a pinch if they don't abide by the law. And what we need to do is we need to pass this great legislation in every city and every state, and then we have to enforce it. And that is easily done. And in the end, the more you enforce and the more you make sure people are abiding by the law, it becomes less expensive for the city. Fewer animals mean fewer animals in shelters, meaning fewer animals to feed, meaning you take a load off animal control because there are fewer animals on the street. One of the things that can can and should be done in cities too, which we are starting to see in Los Angeles, for example, is subsidizing spay-neuter surgeries for lower-income community members. So, for example, in Los Angeles, we now, or we have had before COVID, two months of the year of free spay-neuter surgeries for cats because cats, you know, um, are really bearing the brunt of this overpopulation crisis. So there are so many easy things that we can do as individuals. Um, There are tons and tons of low-cost spay-neuter clinics, whether they're mobile or, at uh, you know, local veterinarians who participate in low-cost spay-neuter programs. PETA does low-cost spay-neuter in some of the um, most poverty-stricken communities of the uh, southern Virginia and North Carolina areas. But those types of programs exist in abundance. People just need to take advantage of them.
2: Well, thank you so much for your comments, Lisa. If you've just joined us, we're talking with PETA Senior Vice President, Lisa Lang about tackling ways to deal with the country's pet overpopulation status. You know, I'm listening to you, and, and one of the things that I think is really, really prevalent, but I don't find cities doing it, is that's educational programs. And years ago, I apprenticed at the ASPCA. And one of the things that I see now in my life is that, they don't have to be rich and they don't have to be poor, but a lot of people get animals and they talk about breeding their animals. And I'm listening to them and they don't know anything about breeding. They don't know anything really about pets and they think they want to have, you know, sell their dogs or sell their cats. And it's just really frightening. Breeding dogs is a lot of work. It's a lot of money and it's something they shouldn't do. And they're not equipped or qualified to do something like that.
6: Nor should they. Yeah, 100% with you. I mean, there's no excuse for breeding animals, breeding dogs and cats and rabbits and reptiles and, and all the rest. And by deciding today, each and every one of your listeners deciding today, I will not purchase a dog. I will adopt a dog or a cat from the shelter. You will be saving a life.
2: I'm sitting here. I'm looking at Dr. Fleck right now. So Dr. Fleck realized that veterinary care was very, very expensive. So he opened a discount clinic. So he could help people of all socioeconomic because what no no matter how much money you make, you could be feeling the pinch based on your lifestyle or how little money you make, you could be feeling the pinch on your lifestyle for the last few years. And he has seen a resurrection of people coming out to take care of their animals and, and in the community. So he is trying to help. You are trying to help people in the community. Yeah, particularly
3: with preventative medicine.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a great interview. Will you come back? I absolutely would love to. Good. Well, everyone, that was PETA's Senior Vice President, Lisa Lang, discussing strategies to tackle pet overpopulation. Like we said, be educated pet owners. Up next, dealing with seasonal pests. You don't want to miss this right here on the Pet Buzz. I'm Pet Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian,
3: Dr. Michael Flagg We'll
2: be right back.
0: Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections?
1: I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple, and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. (laughs) I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie, who always had red ears. But not anymore.
0: Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian. EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com.
2: Charlotte Reed.
3: And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We're urban, suburban, and and country.
0: And now pet buzz news from around the globe.
2: Okay, you know, we have followed crimes like this in the UK, but now it's in the United States. A series of cat killings and mutilations have horrified residents and sparked an investigation in the Tri-Cities area of eastern. Washington officials with the Tri-State Animal uh, officials with the Tri-Cities Animal Shelter say two cats initially were found that had been violently killed by someone with a sharp object. The first cat was found decapitated about 10 days ago on its owner's property in Kennewick. Then last Wednesday, animal cruelty investigators found a cat cut in half in the area of Vancouver Found an air. Wait. Then last Wednesday, animal control investigated a cat found cut in half nearby. It appears the cat, the cats. Wait. Let me let me try this again. Last Wednesday, animal control investigated a cat found cut in half nearby it also appears that cats were cut with an extremely sharp object as the cuts were clean Uh, that's what officials said then in the following days two more cats were found cut in half isn't this horrible animal control and the kennewick police are working together to investigate these gruesome killings residents of these tri-city tri-city residents of these tri-cities are asking residents to keep their pets safe inside and not allowing them to roam outside. Not only is killing animals in this case horrendous, but killing animals is considered to be a gateway crime, which means it's beginning to crimes like domestic violence and other criminal activity. Be aware of what's happening in your community. If you see a problem, a pet problem, speak up. Say something, see something, say something. And let's hope this killer in Washington, in the Tri-Cities area, is caught and punished very, very soon. Since pests are influenced by the seasons, the threats they pose shift as the weather changes. And to keep pests from invading your home and your surrounding property is important to be aware of the seasonal pests, their patterns, and learn how to eliminate them before they harm you, your pets, and your property.
3: So joining us today is Dr. Bill Kern. Dr. Kern is an associate professor in the Department of Entomology and Nematology at the Fort Lauderdale Research and Educational Center of the University of Florida. So, Dr. Kern, welcome to the Pet Buzz today.
7: Well, thank you for having me.
3: So tell me, what is urban pest management?
7: Okay, it's it's sort of an expanded field related to urban entomology, Urban entomology is the study of pests associated with human structures and human habitation. So, you know, we deal with things like termites eating your house and Roaches. cockroaches <laughs> in your kitchen and bed bugs, things like that. And then what I do, I also include vertebrate pests. So that includes birds, bats, rodents that get into structures. Uh, also, nuisance wildlife that does uh, damage to landscapes, things like that.
2: Wow. I think that's really fascinating. Totally. It's a hu- I think that could be a huge career for anybody. Yeah,
7: absolutely. You know, who,
2: who young people who are looking for something new and unusual to do and and still make good money. Okay. So, I did a little research about, you know, urban pests management so cuz I was curious preparing for this interview, and I found out that this week in California, they're celebrating invasive species week. And I don't know if we have one in Florida, but I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. So why should why is it important to learn about our local invasive species?
7: What people don't realize is that almost all of our pest species are invasive exotics. There are some native animals that can be a problem. For example, roof rats, Norway rats, house mice, English sparrows, European starlings, these are all invasive exotic species. And then down here in Florida, we also have Burmese pythons, Argentinian tegus, green iguanas. So we've got all kinds of uh, exotics.
2: Wow, that's really interesting. It is really interesting. And I would think that you also have to learn how to deal with them when you hire a pest management control Company, or even when you're trying to get them off your property, is that correct? Are there are there legal ramifications of killing something? The there wrong way? are legal
7: restrictions. You know, for example, in Florida, at least, you may legally euthanize uh, nuisance wildlife or, or nuisance animals, but you have to do it in a humane manner, and that means you have to follow the guidelines of the panel on euthanasia for the American Veterinary Medical Association or the guidelines for non-domestic animal euthanasia of the American Association of Zoo Veterinarians. So that's actually in Florida law, that you have to follow those uh, sets of recommendations in order to be legal.
2: So, you know, I'm going to bring up an interesting point. So lately, we've had so much rain that we've had these Bouffant frogs. Buffon frogs. So, I mean, they've been in. People have written about them in the paper that they're dangerous for our pets. There are no requirements for how you euthanize them, but you still have to do it humanely, right?
7: Right. You have to do it humanely. And right now, with with all the rain that we've been having, that's going to encourage the giant toads to come up to the surface to forage. So that's why people are seeing them now. They've always been there. They're just underground.
3: Well, that kind of draws me into my next question, really, which was how does the weather affect pests?
7: Well, it, it depends on the pest you're talking about. Weather can impact swarming of things like ants and termites and also invasion of structures by uh, certain other arthropod pests.
2: Okay, so once those animals, like once those insect, like ants, come into the house... Then you have to hire pest control. And then we have to make sure that we have chemicals that are going to work with our pets. So at the end of the day, that's what we're concerned about. Okay, so we know that these bouffant frogs or cane toads can affect our dogs. Do they affect our cats as well?
7: They might, but, you know, a big giant toad or cane toad uh, or marine toad, those are all common names used for this animal. They get pretty big. I've seen some the size of a dinner plate. And generally cats are not going to try to grab a hold of something that big. And not all dogs will attack them either. You know, things like terriers are notorious because they are, they are such active hunters that they oftentimes will go ahead and bite. And it's when they bite down on the animal that the poison glands on the back of their neck release the toxin, and then it gets into the dog's mouth. Then what you have to do is immediately wash your animal's mouth out, go in with your fingers and and just scrub and wash and flush out their mouth as much as possible, and then keep an eye on them. Uh, You may want to go ahead and immediately call the veterinarian to get recommendations. But the most important thing is to wash their mouth out as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible. And usually the dogs don't mind that because it tastes really bad.
3: Well, Dr. Kern, thanks for joining us today on the put buzz. That was really interesting and really helpful.
7: Yep.
2: Yeah, and it really just goes yep. to show you his advice how the species affects the pets, affects the house, and it affects your wallet. So I think that practical advice is just really, really important. Well, everyone, that was Dr. William Kernan, associate professor in the Department of Entomology. Did I say that right, Dr. Mm -hmm. Fleck? And Nematology at Fort Lauderdale Research and Education Center of the University of Florida. For more information, visit flflrec. e Don't worry if you missed it, I'm going to put it up on the social media channels as well as the website. So, check it out. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. You know, it's always too soon to wrap the show, but before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're going to be talking about serial killers and cats, we're going to be talking about taking a vacation with your pet. Since COVID-19 is happening, what are people going to be doing? And, of course, always more on the pet buzz. But first, we want to thank our guest.
3: Special thanks to our guest, Joshua Van Borg, Lisa Lang, and Dr. William Kern.
2: Okay, and we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin-coated ear care products for healthier pets everywhere.
3: And if you have any questions, please write to us at team@petbuzz.com. At
2: of course, and if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels, and listen to the link podcast on Monday morning.
3: And most importantly, remember we're here each week to help you. Take better care of your pets.
2: Peace out and pet love.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com.
2: Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.